In the month when producing iGaming podcasts became an even more popular thing to do, we go live with episode 33 of our little talk radio show. Welcome to iGaming FM. As ever, there's loads packed into the next 30 minutes or so, so let's get stuck in. First up, our Sophie Norris is in conversation with Marina Ostrotsova, the CEO of B Gaming, about to mark her first year in the role. Marina talks about company culture and the importance of balance and empathy, and also how COVID, political instability in Belarus and war in Ukraine have shaped B-gaming. Next, Pierre Lind, co-founder of iGaming Next, more accustomed to asking the questions on his own podcast, is quizzed by Robin Hutchison. Ahead of the 2023 edition of iGaming Next for Letter, Robin asked Pierre about the event's evolution and where it sits in the bustling iGaming show calendar. Finally, and remaining in Malta, I chat to Ree Burns, now head of iGaming at Zimpler. Our chat sprung from Ree's LinkedIn post last month in which she confirmed a voluntary demotion from the role of CCO. We talk about stress, burnout, how to avoid slack, and what to do when it all seems too much. Here's the music. So, to be gaming and CEO Marina Ostrotsova in conversation with Sophie, who sets it up nicely. How are you finding your role as CEO at Be Gaming so far? I would say it's um, challenging enough uh, to not wanting to stop doing it, uh, but responsible enough just for me to understand that there's still uh, a lot, a lot to cover uh, for my personal uh, development. Well, basically, you are the face of company for everything that is happening. But there is like a bold shift here. It's mentioned if there is something good that that is happening, it's just for the team. But if there is something bad happening, this is for the CEO to take. So it took me a while to adjust to this. But yeah, so far, so good. And it's been working for me great. Oh, that's great to hear. And, and like you said, a lot of responsibility, a lot of things to look forward to as well. I noticed that there's been a huge drive to attract more women into the industry and your C-level executive leadership roles at B-Gaming are occupied by a lot of women. So what are the benefits do you think a strong female workforce will bring to, to iGaming? You know, it's not like we have a goal in the company to bring more uh, female workforce or attract more women to the company. It's just happening naturally. And I think that's the way it should work. You're not focusing like, okay, I'm working only with women or only with men or whatever. We are still working with people and we only evaluate people. If we are speaking about what the actually women can bring to the company probably uh, empathy that's the first thing that i i get in, in mind when you have a woman with the power and adding some empathy uh, like on top it just changes the way how uh, women like basically judges uh, people it is not that strict and harsh probably compared to to men and this probably serves long-term goals for the company another thing maybe is a balance women like can can be more balancing than men and it's a favorite word in our company like in general balance 
when we're speaking about game development in general, the game should be balanced, all the art should be balanced, it should be like very pleasant for the eye to watch the art, to listen to the music from the game, the winnings and the volatility of the game should be balanced. Uh, that's why I can say about the company in general, about the culture, about the attitude. And it's just like the balancing of energies that women and men can, can like have inside. So this uh, is what women actually bring to the company. Balance and empathy. That's great. And along with an increase in women working in iGaming, research recently found that women now make up to 40% of the players too. So what trends have you seen among your female customers and what B-gaming content are your female players enjoying the most? Well, actually, this is the very accurate statistics that you mentioned. Uh, we have pretty much the same percentage of the audience. It belongs to women. Speaking of the portfolio, we have pretty uh, like a wide portfolio, not uh, comprises only from slots, but different types of games in general. We have like table games, blackjack, roulettes, casual games, crash mechanic games. So basically, women are playing everything but if we if we need to pick some category i would say it's slots i wouldn't pick any particular slot from the portfolio they play everything uh, in terms of how they play and how they like pay attention to details i would say women are more aggressive we've been working with a world boxing convention and we have friends from there who are in the industry for a lot of time and they invited me to several fights and like they pay attention to the to how women like behave in the competition they are way too more aggressive than men i would say that women can risk uh, faster they can play all their money faster and i also like pay attention to our girls in, in our team that when they come to the company like baby fresh they don't know anything about the industry don't know anything about game development specifically in gambling and oh my god i don't know how risky i am and it's so fascinating to see them like they actually love playing they actually love playing our games so it's it's cool to observe actually that's great that your your team members get involved too if you had to choose the top three events that have happened to be gaming over the past 12 months that significantly impacted the course of the business what breakthrough moments would you highlight I am the biggest advocate like of our team in general and I will not stop mentioning this. We doubled in size in terms of our employees. So this actually affected uh, how we're doing business and what strategy we take because yeah, yeah, we, we are growing. So probably I will mention this as a first. Our co-branding development and exclusive games that we develop specifically for our clients, this is something new as well that is very trendy and we follow this and we know that the audience now is looking for more personalized stuff. So we actually, as a game provider, can provide this and this significantly change the approach that we have in terms of the portfolio that we offer to our clients and in terms of the process of development itself. So the exclusive games is yeah something to boost uh, ourselves as well. Uh, the third one, don't have anything in mind so far, probably like relocating people to different geography that also affected affected a lot how we are doing our business and and i know that B gaming have invested so much in their team and helping people who have been dislocated by war over a year now what has it been like leading a company dislocated by war and how have you adapted to it what, what challenges have you faced 
Oh, wow. Um, I will start a little bit earlier. Um, our roots, uh, the roots of the company is in uh, Belarus and it started in early 2020 when the COVID started. So that's actually the first wave of uh, challenges that we faced that we need to adopt it when we started working remotely and pay attention to our health. So we lose like this cultural effect when we are like a team of people gathered together in one office, like quickly dealing with each other, resolving problems. So this is the first wave. And then I'm not sure if you know about the situation in Belarus when we had closer to the end of the 2020, we had this election and yeah, it was all ruined and uh, a lot of people just lost their country. Actually, it's affected our lives in general a lot and we started to relocate people to different locations because people didn't want to have a president that was never actually elected uh so we lose our country and lost our country and we still don't have our country the way we remember it and then the war started and uh, it's very sad to understand that you are, are representing the country who represent the aggressive side of this. So speaking of these three, like the second point, this just affected way much more rather than the war. It's not that I'm picking sides, it's just uh, we are not having our country to ourselves anymore. Uh, me, pers- me personally, with my family, I-, I left Belarus, I'm no longer there. Uh, and it is uh, frustrating. So having these three on top, like starting from 2020 until now, it's like every year is getting worse. And like, I don't think we can ever adopt like fully to what is going on. Anyone cannot adopt to the fact that there is a war in your country or your neighbor country. But there are several steps that we're doing. Uh, As I mentioned, we started relocating people from 2020, end of 2020 because of this election and uh, yeah, the war just made us to proceed these processes. Now we have like four or five locations already when, when we have our people working in the offices and basically we adopted ourselves to be able to hire people around the world. So this is the one. Speaking of the losing of this uh, connection when we uh, work together in, in one office, like we lose our kitchen where we actually drink coffee or tea discussing stuff so we recreated this uh online every week we have our kitchen where everybody like can talk about any topic in mind Uh, like if there's a problem how we resolve this problem if there's something new to the company then how we come to the idea and how we introduce this to the company basically anything that you want to share with your teammates you can do this on this kitchen we also created different events for our location where we have offices so that people can actually meet and uh, continue their friendship, continue to exchange ideas like personally. These are probably the biggest uh, adjustment of uh, how we're dealing with people. So see, I'm, I'm, I'm always speaking about people, always speaking about the team because yeah, that's what I think the most, uh, most important of all. Neither Robin Hutchison nor Pierre Lind require any introduction, so I'll let them get on with it. So Pierre, you're very used to podcasts and very used to asking the questions, but the shoe's on the other foot today. And I wondered, 
you're always probing other people about their companies, their views on the industries and that that sort of thing. I'd like to know a little bit more about your background, if I may. Um, how did you get to where you are today? And first of all, how does a Swede have a French name? <laughs> We're going out strong here today, Robert. I like it. Well, you will have to ask my mother this. I have Oster. Um, there is no other Pierre's in my family or anyone in our vicinity. She just kind of liked the name, I suppose. And uh, I've been in the gambling industry my entire life, you could say. We started a poker club when we were 17 years old, where we gathered our friends. You know, we used to play poker in school when the poker boom started. The teachers were not the big, biggest fans of our kind of games in the cafeteria in the school. So we decided to move it outside of the school. Then. We hosted these uh, poker games for a couple of years, actually. And uh, it grew to become one of the biggest poker clubs in, in Sweden at one point. Kind of one thing led to the other. I was in the um, Swedish Poker Federation as a, as a board member uh, when I was young there as well. And, you know, you kind of get to know the industry. And after a while, I was poached uh, to, to join Betsson 2011. And that's how I came to Malta. Worked there for two years. And from there on, me and Martin, my business partner, we decided to start our company, which then led to Next. And here we are today with the legendary Robin Hutchinson in this very interview. So one thing has definitely led to the other. Well, it's kind of you to say so. You're the first person to do so. Poker is always the school for scoundrels, as far as I'm aware. Everyone starts in poker somewhere or another. How did you get to the point that where you sat down and said, I want to be in events. I want to put on events for the industry. And what were you hoping to achieve when you started off? What wasn't already there? To be honest with you, Robin, there was never a conscious decision to start doing events within the industry. It was more a passion that we love the gambling industry. And personally, it's a hobby of mine to organize events. It's also something kind of like marrying events and the gambling industry are the two passions that I've had uh, in my career to date. This has very much grown from not really having any form of initial plan or any ambition whatsoever, other than we just loved organizing these type of events. And as time goes on, things fall more into place. But I can tell you like one decision we took when we launched Next in 2019 specifically, we felt that there was a need for more content-driven conferences. So here in Malta, we have Sigma, of course, which, uh, which is an exhibition, and they do extremely well. We were part of kind of the birth of Sigma back in the day with, with Emma, and we, we assisted to build their conference. And we decided at some point, you know, we want to do something ourselves. Like we, we want to build our own concept. And we said, you know, Sigma is a 90% exhibition and 10% content. So if we are going to have a chance to establish a show here in Malta, we probably need to do something very different. So we flipped it around and we said, what if we do a show that is 90% content and 10% exhibition? And that's how X was born in its, in its infancy, to kind of differentiate ourselves from Sigma, as we were both very Malta-based here. That was kind of like the guiding star has always been the content since that day. So when the pandemic happened, same thing there, you know, what can we do if we don't have our in-person events? Well, maybe we can produce content for free and put it on the internet and kind of give everyone in the industry access to like really deep knowledge that they didn't have before. You know, and so that became kind of the continuation of the business at that time. Let me ask you a devil's advocate question, if I may, then. Don't people go to events to do deals and have a few drinks in the evening? How important is content and how do you keep it fresh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good question. And, and um, so this is also a, an experience that we've had throughout the years. Like, yes, the content is important. But at the end of the day, what people will invest in is uh, the ability to make deals and do business. Argument X2023, then we have like three propositions here. So first of all, we want to... Uh, 
offer world-class networking. We want to offer the best content of the industry and then the best hospitality of the industry as well. It should be fun to come to the events. In regards to fresh content, we are lucky that we have really good advisors from all across the industry, from all walks of life and from all kinds of different nationalities and all kinds of different positions and type of companies. And they are our teachers. So they teach us, they tell us what we should do. So we come into these advisory board meetings with really grand ideas. And then those ideas get shot down immediately and replaced with much better ideas. <laughs> and, and that's how we get to do fresh content. And you talked about Malta there and you talked about other shows that are on the island. But how do you bring the world to Malta? How do you stop iGaming Next being a bit of a, don't tell us the wrong way, I'm not criticizing you at all, but how do you stop it being a club for your mates in the industry? And how do you get other people to come? How do you keep it fresh? It is really uh, that combination of those three pillars, as I mentioned. Like, you, If we can offer a show that is like tailor-made for creating incredible business opportunities, if it can offer the best forward-thinking content where you can really come and learn and kind of be inspired by the industry leaders, if you can have fun doing it, then you have kind of a, a proposition that is very strong for people to take the decision to travel to the show. And we can see that from, you know, this is the fourth I give an expert do now. And we track this very, what you mentioned is spot on because it's our most important USB, how many people travel to attend I Give Me Next. We saw that in the, uh, in the first year, it was about 5%, right? It was very local, mostly people in Slema, even like the same town as the event took place in. The second year, you know, it went up to around 20%. And last year, we had around 40% of the delegates traveling. And we see this year that we are trending to around 60% of uh, the delegates traveling into Malta. What you need to do is really this kind of trifecta. We are professionals, Robin. You're, you've gone to a lot of shows in, in your life, I'm sure. Some are more fun than others, and uh, some are more valuable than others, let's say. Some shows, you get this feeling that this is just a very uncomfortable show to travel to. And, you know, it's not only about the um, kind of business proposition, but it's also about like us as individuals, like what, what uh, excites us, actually. And so it's important to capture that as well. Somehow there, there is a secret recipe. We are trying to figure it out like slowly but surely. I think we are improving every year. We're all looking for the secret recipe, that's for sure. More and more people coming to Malta then, as you're saying. How do you scale in a place like Malta, which isn't blessed with lots of event venues, great restaurants, great hotels, great places to visit, but not huge event spaces per se? How do you scale going forward? Yeah, but maybe we don't need to scale. Like, we, you know, MCC in Valletta, it holds 4,000 delegates. That's the, that's the kind of cap. That's our, our ambition this year to sell out. This is like our big uh, USB together with people traveling. And it's like, let's try to sell out the show because that rarely happens in this industry. And the reason it doesn't happen is because people and other organizers, they think that scale is everything. They think the more delegates, the better. But we think that it's not always the biggest events that are the best. If we can host a great event in a great venue in a great city and we can focus on the level of delegates and getting the right people in the room, that is the show that people want to attend. And we don't have to be the biggest. That is not the ambition. That's not who we are as I give next. It may not be the most like financially viable business strategy if you look at only I give me next Valletta itself. But um, if you look at us as an organization and as a company, it makes a lot more sense because um, our media arm, the second army company, that is where we put a lot of our focus operationally. And by scaling an event, it can remove a lot of operational leverage that we have to kind of lose track of like our real ambition, which is to 
to become the major trade media organization of the uh, of the industry. You mentioned Valletta and MCC, which is a brilliant venue. June 21st to 22nd is what's coming up. What can we expect? What's new this year and what we'll be listening to uh, at the conference? We are branding this event as like a full festival experience, right? So it's like stuff happening from Monday to Saturday. Full week of just full-on activities. It should be something for everyone. We are getting up to a little bit in age at least. I mean, we're not like spring chickens anymore. These uh, kind of like evening activities and go out to party every single night. I'm, I don't know if I'm only speaking for myself, but that is not exactly my thing anymore. <laughs> uh, and so we want to make sure that we have a balanced agenda with things happening in the morning and sporting activities and uh, some other networking activities that are taking place scattered throughout the day and, and kind of early evening without this like heavy party scene that you see sometimes at some other conferences. So th- that's kind of uh, what we're trying to accomplish uh, here by kind of adding a lot of items to the agenda and turn it into a festival. This should be something for everyone. So we have a paddle tournament, there's a run club. I know that you're an avid runner, Robin, so I'm hoping to see you there. We have a breakfast event, there's uh, obviously the conference itself. We have a poker day. There's so many things. The list goes on and on and on. And then it culminates into um, an older concept that we started, me and Martin, 10 years ago, which is our uh, showers pool party, which is, funnily enough, one of the biggest pool parties in Europe that we started. It was mine and Martin's first event 10 long years ago that is now celebrating its 10-year anniversary. That's going to be the uh, closing party of the event, which is taking place on the Saturday. So come fresh, Robin. Uh, make sure to, uh, to go to the gym before, bring a, a pair of uh, swimming trunks, and uh, we'll make sure to entertain you. I will do my best. I'm looking forward to joining Neil Judson and uh, Chris Looney for the run. We've seen a lot of mergers and acquisition in recent times. Push Gaming, Neo Games, a number of other companies have been involved in big deals recently. Is there going to be consolidation in the event space, do you think? Do you think we'll see some M&A when it comes to gaming companies and, and event companies specifically? SPC, Sigma, Clarion, us. I think we have figured out our own corners in this landscape. And I think that we are doing it quite well, all of us on our own. Uh, so far, there was heavy rumors, of course, that uh, Sigma was just about to be acquired by Clarion before the pandemic. If you are to believe people who are close to that, uh, yeah, it was very close to be signed at that point. So who knows? At some point, maybe that will that will be a conversation that happens again. I do think that all of us have very ambitious plans and all of us are very happy controlling our companies and taking them to the place they want to be. Like these organizations are founder-led and you know, founder-led businesses, we do have very strong opinions and we do have very clear goals of what we want to achieve. And I think all of us still feel that we are in the beginning of something. So I wouldn't hold my breath for the moment, at least, but not impossible for the future. What's this space, I think, is the is the way of putting that. But yeah, look, I'm sure the industry is big enough and successful enough for everybody. And as you say, if they find their niche, then that's what it's about then. Last open-ended question from me. What's next for iGaming Next? iGaming Next, Valletta is next and next after that. We're going to take uh, a little bit of a breather because uh, after the pandemic, we've been like full on 110%, all systems go. And so I think our team have been working like incredibly hard. Uh, now. I mean, our team is, is second to none. And so I think all of us are looking, looking forward to a little bit of a break after iGaming Next Valletta. It's kind of like been this like big light at the end of the tunnel for us in the stress of everyday life. To be honest with you, that is what we're mostly looking forward to. 
And then we come out of our little hibernation and we're looking straight into 2024. We are very happy with the products that we've launched today with our New York event and with our Veleta event. We don't want to launch like six, seven events and pull down the uh, kind of integrity in all of them. We want to create two shows that are the best that they can be. That's what we are quite happy with. And there's a lot of growth that is still to be had there. And on the media side, the news portal, podcasts, so on and so forth, the ambition there is crystal clear. We want to grow exponentially. We want to build out our teams. And we want to be the clear leader and the clear authority for any news information insights to the agri industry. So that we're just pushing towards that. That's what we do. Finally, we stay in Malta and my chat with Ree Burns, who's been on something of a personal journey recently. I started out asking Ree what originally brought her to the island. I began my iGaming journey as soon as I hit 18. So I started off in high street bookmakers in the UK. After a few years dealing with that, I really decided I needed the sunshine. I'd heard of this like magical island where there were iGaming jobs, they spoke English and the sun was always shining. So that is sort of how I ended up here. I came with uh, one suitcase and one month's wages and just took it from there and jumped kind of straight into to iGaming, mostly on the B2B supplier side. So payments, affiliates, affiliate networks and that sort of thing. And that is how I, I joined Zimpler. They had launched a new payment product and wanted to push it out in the iGaming space. So I joined four years ago as the CCO, so dealing with sales, B2B sales, B2B account management, and just growth to launch the products in iGaming. No one's two stories are exactly the same, but that pathway is something others will relate to, right? Others have worked in betting shops. A few weeks ago or two months ago, that all changed, right? Your path stopped being something that was familiar to other people and started to really stand out as a kind of different way of doing things. And you moved from that C-level role, CCO, to become a head of iGaming, which is a senior role as head of, but it is not as senior as CTO. So what happened? And at your own request, why did that change happen? I've been at Zimpler for four years. Um, so there has been a, a journey with them. I joined as the CCO when we were around 20 people total. Three of us focused on sales and the task was to sell to iGaming. But over those four years, thankfully, things really took off and Zimpler grew a lot. And the role really grew a lot as well. We grew into new industries, travel, e-com, financial services in many different countries. We got to the point where we're over 200 people, over 40 people in sales, was managing an overall department of 40 people, broken into seven different sales teams, some kind of admin and operational roles. And it was just a different role than it had been. And it was a role that was bigger and not necessarily what I was super great at or what I wanted to do. So as the role became bigger, I just realized it's not where I want to be now. And I am not necessarily what Zimpler needs in this role either. So the stars aligned a little bit and the, the head of iGaming role was available. And it just seemed like the, the perfect fit for me really to go back to what I enjoy, what I'm good at, and really get back to being on top instead of kind of uh, drowning a little bit every day is, is how I felt because things became so big. Until that last phrase then, it felt like you were underplaying things a little bit. Because obviously a few weeks have passed now. It seemed like it was a super stressful time. This wasn't about Zimpler as an employer. This is not on them. This is about the path you found yourself on. And, and that becoming very stressful, I guess. People will recognize this feeling, but they don't know what to do. So how did you know what to do? Or how did you know that something had to be done? 
Yeah, and it took some time. And, and like you said, none of this was down to, to Zimpler or, or their culture. I could see what was needed from this role and how many people were relying on me and you know all of the, the stuff that you needed to know. And I just found that I was learning so much every day that it was hard to keep on top of being operational and being long term when you're 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 learning you're everybody needs you you're in meetings all day so it really got to the point where I mean I was working many hours over the end of the day and and constantly available just to try and kind of keep up with what I knew was needed of the role and what I knew I just couldn't do in eight hours I kind of realized this wasn't sustainable in my experience it takes something outside of the work orbit to happen so that gives you suddenly a bit of perspective and clarity that Seems ridiculous that you didn't have until that thing happened. But were there things going on away from work, if I can ask? Yeah, yes, exactly. That's really what sort of triggered the the time I took to kind of step back for a second and just think about where am I and where am I headed? There was a few things. At the end of last year, I, I fell and, and I broke my wrist, which now it really doesn't seem like such a big thing. But at the time, I was in so much pain. I was in a cast. I couldn't live my life normally. You know, like even eating, washing was a struggle. Typing, working was a struggle. But I found myself at the hospital in agony and I was checking Slack and I was taking calls. I mean, simply I didn't know I was in this situation, but I just felt like I, I need to do this and I, I couldn't let go for, for even a few minutes to, to see the doctor. So that was one thing that really made me realize that this is my health and I should be able to take a day to, to just check that everything's fine. Then kind of around the same time, my mum my back in the UK, she needed to have some surgery. That came like super out of the blue. I wanted to go back and be with her to, to help her through that. And again, I was at the hospital. I was kind of stressing about work and worrying about being far away. And both of these things together made me, one, I realised that this isn't healthy and second, I realized this isn't what Zimpler would want from an employee. They definitely don't want someone at this point where they can't get off their phone or they can't take a, a minute to take their mum to the hospital. So that is really what triggered a bit of introspection and, and thinking about what's best for me, not what is best on the CV or even what is best for Zimpler. It was like, what is going to make me happy? How am I going to find my place and start to do really good work again? That's a really good point because I think most people can identify elements of of, the, of these experiences that we're complicit in our own downfall to some extent. I'm going to ask you next what the reaction was and how, how you approached this with your boss. You must be the CEO, I guess, right? Yeah, that was, I mean, it's something that I thought about a lot before doing and definitely I... I was super nervous because this isn't a normal thing that you bring up, you know, like, uh, hi, can I demote myself? It's it's like what you're normally <laughs> trying to fight against. And that's always been me. I've always wanted to grow and do more. And as we grew, I was like screaming, like, yeah, give me more. So it was a big, uh, a big turnaround. Zimbler as a company and the leadership, they are so supportive. So I wasn't too concerned, but still it's, uh, you don't know how, how a discussion like that is going to go and to admit sort of, weakness and uh, uh, raise the fact that you know someone else could do this better than me but I mean the response was was initial shock I think because yeah this isn't uh, I guess a, a normal pathway. It was part of the shock in the fact they didn't realize forgive the phrase but what state you were in <laughs> they didn't realize how bad it was is that is that fair? Yeah absolutely because I think the exact phrase I used uh, in that call is that I feel like I'm failing every day the look on the face and it was just that is absolutely not how we see things and that is not how we want you to feel so it was definitely like surprised on that side 
I had a clear idea of what I wanted to do and what I could bring to Zimpla um, with this kind of the head of iGaming with a focus on growing that area even more. And to all of us, I mean, it just made sense straight away. Straight away, it was like, okay, yeah, this is where you should be and this is where you can really do the best work. So then it was like, jump into action time. Let's make this happen. And then it becomes exciting. Yeah. The next day, even after the call, like I felt like a huge physical weight like was really lifted. I felt like I could breathe. I could sleep. So it felt so good. So you need to be happy and excited to, to be alive every day. Um, so it's great to feel like that again. And that, yeah, exactly. And then it's quite hard to, it's quite hard to keep in touch with those values when you are like going under. So I, I knew about this because you posted on LinkedIn after a bit of a quiet period, actually. And you actually went with, I'm back. I'm back, baby, all in capitals. Uh, about a month ago, and that got 258 engagements for a personal post. And that is a lot. I mean, I know that you spend a lot of time thinking about metrics and things like that, and you have done. Um, and we do as well um, in terms of getting visibility of the podcast. I mean, that is huge numbers for personal posts. It doesn't tag and operate or anything else. It's just about, hey, here's some news about me. That infers an overwhelmingly positive reaction. I wouldn't expect anything less. What were your, what was the team like? What was it like inside Zimpla when this happened? Were they equally as shocked as your CEO had been? I think it was a bit half and half. Again, I think people were shocked, but mostly around just, just not being like the path that many people take. So just surprised that someone would kind of choose to to do this. But also, on the other hand, uh, it made perfect sense to everyone. I've always been more closely working with the iGaming side because it is where I'm comfortable. The reaction was actually so positive. People were like, this is what we need. Like, this is how we get the iGaming uh, segment to, to keep growing. And this is going to be so much fun. So mostly people were super positive. And yeah, the feedback was great internally, but also externally. I, of course, I was concerned, you know, people are going to think like, oh, that's it now. Like you're taking a step back, you have failed, but people were super supportive. That phrase, that's it now is really telling. It's kind of like, if I'm not on the path I thought I was on, is that, is that the death of ambition? Is that it, right? That's Is that it now? And that's so telling because I think, I know people that have been made redundant and changed careers. And before that, it was unthinkable. And actually, it turned out that wasn't it. It was just another beginning. Did you get to tell people within Zimpler? Yeah, exactly. They really let me kind of own the narrative internally. I was involved in telling the iGaming team, the wider sales team, my direct reports, and then the company kind of at large. That was nice that I could come and tell the story. Kind of reinforces that it's the right thing to do, right? That yeah. No one's, no one's burying this story. What's different now and what surprised you maybe about how it's different? I feel like I have kind of twice as much time as I had before. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm working within reasonable working hours and then I get my, my life back uh, in the evenings. So it's been a lot of just getting outside and enjoying the fresh air, gardening in the, in the yard again. I took a week vacation where I logged off and I didn't check Slack once and the company didn't crumble without me, um, which was which was great. And I didn't crumble without like the, the the need to just be needed all the time. So it was so good to just take a week, relax and come back. And now, I mean, I'll wake up earlier in the morning, uh, just fresh and, and happy and, and ready to take on the day. I'm surprised at how quickly it feels different. I really have managed to let go of so much that's also been my problem in the past is being a little bit of a control freak and wanting to do more always so I'm surprised 
and happy at myself that I really just let go. Did you think you're doing more for Zimpla now than you were before? Uh, yeah, a thousand times more, even in the first few days. I could see much more clearly because one, it's a smaller team, it's a smaller area and it kind of gets rid of all the noise. So I can just focus on what I know. It already in the first week implemented a few new kind of responsibilities within the team and improved some processes. And yeah, we have a few big projects that I never would have been able to implement when I had so much to do. For me, I don't see this as a step back or a step down. I really see this as a focus time where I can actually do way more than I could have done like two months ago. The balance of your life has changed dramatically, it seems. And actually, on balance, everything is better, even though you felt like you were making a sacrifice or you were doing something negative. Finally, what would you want others to take away from hearing these stories, from reading about it on LinkedIn? I think the most important thing is that whatever feels right for you is what you need to listen to. And for some people that might be being super hungry, growing, learning every day and kind of always pushing for that next thing. And that's great. But for other people, it's okay if you find your area where you're comfortable and you grow within that area or if you just kind of find what you like it and you stick with it. I think it's more important how you feel every day, physically, emotionally, and about yourself. The end goal shouldn't be CEO for everyone. It's fine if that's not your goal. And if you find yourself in a position that you're not happy with, there, there's no such thing as a step back. There is just a refocus and to do it because life is it really is too short. And it sounds it's like breaking my wrist and being at the hospital with my mum like these are, you know, nobody died, but it really made me see that life is short and we have to, we have to enjoy it. Thanks again to all contributors to this episode, to Marina, Pierre and Marie and to Sophie and Robin for their expert chat skills. My special thanks to Reeve for speaking so openly about things and thoughts that most of us keep to ourselves. We'll see you at iGaming next in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.